Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Today, we have part two of our conversation with Dr. Michael Kaloje, Chief Innovation Officer of Advi, and he's talking about the last two trends that he feels is going to change cancer care forever. And those are payer reform and alternative payer models. Now, I want to just preface this episode for those of you who listen on a regular basis. There are some audio defects that you'll see in the episode, but I want you to persist beyond those. Don't click off because he delivers some truly special and insightful content on how payers are adopting precision medicine and what they can do to accelerate access to precision medicine for patients. Truly great episode. I hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Well, what you're saying is a lot of what we're hearing from the market going out and speaking about utility of Trapello. If you can eliminate prior authorization, which is a huge financial and administrative burden on both sides, that's doable. Now, we're talking about payer reform, which was the second trend that you spoke about in your keynote. I'm not sure if this is in the same category, but you spoke about mega mergers being blocked. And in early April, the Department of Justice ordered objections to be reviewed on the CVS Aetna merger that's supposedly already done. That's $70 billion on the line. So is this a good or a bad thing? And what does this deal or no deal mean for the future of healthcare? So in the spirit of transparency, I did work for Aetna and part of my compensation was Aetna stock, which is now CVS stock. So let's just be clear on that. I I don't consider myself conflicted on this, but I want to be transparent. For sure. So the Department of Justice initially blocked the horizontal mergers between Aetna and Humana and then Anthem and CVS. And the grounds by which they blocked them was basically uh, monopolistic tendencies in certain markets. So Aetna's interest in uh, Humana, of course, was Humana's uh, large Medicare Advantage business. Uh, Aetna's never really had a big Medicare Advantage business, and it was quite attractive. Medicare Advantage, as you probably know, is one of the, if not the, most rapidly growing insurance sector has been for the last several years. It's also quite lucrative for the uh, health plan. So that's the Aetna CVS thing. And then the Humana Anthem thing was just to you know, increase their footprint. So the department just says you can't do that. And I think, you know, there were clearly markets where after the merger, there would have been, you know, 75% of the market share was going to be uh, Aetna Humana. So that I think was understood. Now, what we've seen is kind of less conventional and more vertical type mergers than uh, the Aetna CVS deal and the Cigna Express Scripts deal are good examples of that. So let's talk about Cigna Express first. You know, Cigna Express is pretty much improving your ability to do blocking and tackling, right? So Express, very large, very successful PBM. Cigna did not have really a pharmacy operations. By bringing them under the same roof, they were able to consolidate, integrate multiple different components of the care spectrum. It just made total sense. And of course, that went through. The uh, Aetna CVS thing was that, right? Because Aetna had a little pharmacy operation, wasn't very big. 
of course, CVS, a big pharmacy operation. That was a little bit of it. But I think the vision of the Aetna-CVS merger was much, much greater than that. And I would say that the Aetna-CVS, the vision, I believe, of the Aetna-CVS thing was to change the consumer experience around healthcare. Mm. And I don't know about your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, there's a lot of CVSs. And I think the idea that the health insurance company could become part of the provider spectrum, specifically through CVS, either through minute clinics or some enhanced clinical offering, was really a lot of what drove that merger or acquisition more precisely. Now, this whole business about administrative judge having heartburn that uh, the Department of Justice didn't do enough due diligence to ensure there's no monopoly happening here. I think we should be aware that this has not really ever happened before. And whether or not there's any true teeth in this next set of hearings where we're going to hear what the AMA has to say and the, you know this group and that group, we'll see how that plays out. I think the Department of Justice says, listen, you know, this was a fail-safe uh, mechanism to make sure that really bad things don't happen. We believe we did a good job, and I think the Department of Justice will stand behind their perception on the ability to move this forward. Uh, yes, it's a lot of money. I think no one believes for a second that the whole thing is going to unwind. I think there could be a desire to have the combined organization divest itself of certain business units or something like that, but I don't see much happening from this. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But truth of the matter is the Aetna CVS thing is so interesting to me because as I said at my Flasco talk, you know, anybody who's had a kid wake up with an ear infection on a Saturday morning and trying to find a pediatrics office open, man, that is just, that is really hard. Mm-hmm. Having yeah. the ability to go to a CVS where there's a, you know, let's say a nurse practitioner who will see the patient and prescribe the appropriate therapy, I think that's very attractive to a consumer. It certainly is attractive to me. Now, the question is, And this is a million-dollar question. Will this also become a mechanism for managing chronic illness? So let's just think about this. Every parent in America have their eyes focused on diabetes. Why? Because diabetes costs a lot of money. I mean, it costs a lot of money to treat acutely, but also the cumulative effects and the development of chronic medical complications of diabetes, that's a big deal. Now, let's say you were able to use minute clinics to have diabetes educators, dietitians, any number of different healthcare professionals that might more actively and aggressively manage the chronic condition with the vision towards a better outcome down the line. That to me is fascinating. And I can even see ways that that could be implemented in oncology. So we'll see how this plays out. I know people think, I'm a little bit out there because CVS is just like a pharmacy and stuff. But I don't think Larry Merlo thinks CVS is just a pharmacy and stuff. I think CVS has much bigger plans for how they can address management of chronic care because honestly, that's what the money is, right? If you look at healthcare spending in America, it's not taking care of well people that cost the money. People who consume the most resources, make up a very, very smart of the population. And that's been proven over and over again. And you can generate far more savings taking care of sick people effectively than taking care of well people. And I believe that's what this is all about. Super interesting. Well, the fourth 
is trend that you talked about is something that you obviously have done pioneering work in, and that's creating alternative payer models. Yeah, as we sit today, how many different models exist? Not and, enough. And, you know, I know that our audience is not just, you know, oncology, you know, based physicians and industry people, but how many different models exist with the purpose of driving value-based care? What we have seen is that the vast majority of models that people are paying attention to are being driven by Medicare. And specifically, uh, an important, maybe the most important part of the ACA was the development of uh, CMMI, the uh, Medicare and Medicaid Innovation Center. And they were charged with looking at alternative payment models, and they've taken that very, very seriously. They have come under some criticism, and they certainly have undergone a lot of scrutiny, but they've done a lot of stuff in primary care, done a lot of stuff in hospital-based care. They did stuff with joint replacement, and then, of course, now they've done the oncology care model, which is a medical home type model that looks at the ability to transform carefully to reduce cost and improve quality. And, you know, because cancer is a disease of aging, because for most oncology practices in America, about half patients are Medicare patients, they had the heft to really get in to practices that were motivated to change, practices that were motivated to pay attention to cost and quality, and really impact how things are done. Now, if we look at commercial payers as opposed to Medicare, one of the biggest challenges is that all healthcare is local. But when I was at Aetna, and let's say I wanted to work with a practice, most practices would have, you know, for cancer patients, rat beneficiaries. And if that was the case, I often did not have enough valuable patients for my program. Medicare has tons of valuable patients in every single price on earth. So it's been really, really difficult for a lot of commercial payers to get too excited about trying to build these programs. In fact, less than 1% of all people with a commercial insurance, less than 1% of Aetna or United Beneficiaries actually have an oncology claim, a cancer claim. Less than 1%. That small number is responsible for, I don't know, 10 or 11% of, of total costs for the health plan. So it's not that it's insignificant. It's just that there aren't that many members. So I would say United did a lot of very interesting stuff over the years. Lee gets a lot of credit for being innovative. He developed what he called a bundle or episode-based model in which a limited number of fairly common malignancies wow. were managed in a program where practices that agreed to participate agreed to improve the care of the patients and be paid by a methodology in which they received a flat sum of money for uh, a period of uh, active treatment, as opposed to the current system in which practices are paid for service basis. That is, every time you see a patient, you submit a bill, you give chemotherapy, you submit a bill. That was not the model Lee put in. The model was, look, we'll pay for, for drugs at cost, and but we're going to give you management fee. It's going to take care of all the stuff, uh, and we'll see how you're doing. If you pay attention, if you save money, I'll give you some more. And he did it with, uh, I think it was seven practices. And the initial report, which has been published and extensively discussed, uh, showed significant savings. Now, I have some personal criticisms of the study, but that said, it got people very, very excited. United has subsequently expanded that program. They have not achieved the same degree of success with the second wave of practices, but that sort of bundled episode-based payment is one innovative approach. At Aetna, I did an oncology medical home type model. 
Very similar what the OCM did. The payment was a little different, but it was the same kind of goal. Just recently, Humana announced a similar model, the oncology model of care, I think they called it. And they're basically doing the same thing. Look, pay attention how you take care of the patient. Do a good job. We're going to compare. We're going to give you a little extra money to help you deliver enhanced services. And then we're going to measure how much it costs before and after. Talk to my friend Brian Lloyd, Humana, and they've been careful to select practices that they think are capable of doing this. And again, practices that are in markets where Humana has enough of a footprint that they can actually measure something. Anthem has another program altogether. And I would say that Anthem's program, which is really a pathways type program, is a model that I think we're going to see more and more of here in the near future. So what did Anthem do? Anthem said, look, we're going to focus only on the drug costs. We're only interested in the drug costs. And we know that there are many different ways to treat a patient with same or similar outcomes. So what we're going to do is we're going to make a list of what we consider to be the value-based choices for any of these. And if you apply on a patient-level basis with that value-based decision choices, we will give you a management fee. We'll give you some extra money. If you don't, we'll pay for it, but you don't get the extra money. In addition, if you play through this, play ball with us through this model, we'll make prior auth really easy for you. You know, it's going to shoot right through. So Anthem, which is in 14 states, has deployed this program in 14 states. We don't have any real cost results yet from it. But I think what we're seeing now is an enhanced interest by many payers in the adoption of pathways-type programs. It's almost impossible for an oncologist to believe that there was a time before NCCN guidelines. Just goes to show you how old I am. But NCCN guidelines changed everything, right? They really did change everything. Because what NCCN guidelines did was they developed a very disciplined, very transparent, very reproducible methodology by which experts evaluated the best available evidence to determine appropriate treatment for patients with various malignancies. They did a tremendous service to America, again, America. And so payers, ultimately, all of them ultimately, just basically said, if, you know, if you're doing something NCCN says is okay, it's good enough for us, right? We like it. Now, when we looked at the NCCN guidelines when I was at U.S. Oncology, mm-hmm. we said, all right, these are all okay, but some of them probably, some treatment choices are probably better than others. And NCCN does call that out, incidentally. And some of them are like way more expensive than others. So what if we put together a a program by by which we formally evaluated what NCCN had put out there and chose the treatments that we thought really had the best evidence, right? Either of efficacy or uh, reduced toxicity. And then we kind of looked at it through a cost lens. So a pathway Mm -hmm. is a value-based distillation of evidence-based treatment options. Now, there is no such thing as a pathway. The process by which pathways are developed are fairly comparable across the board. And there's, a, there's been an expansion and contraction of companies that do pathway development. But I think we're going to see increased interest in pathways. And the reason we're going to see increased interest in pathways is the oncology care model did one really, really important thing for oncology in the U.S. And that is it showed people where the dollars were being spent. Unbelievable. Why unbelievable? Because we were living under this impression, false impression, that, oh, you know, drugs made up about 20 or 25% of the cost of care. That is absolutely false. It is categorically incorrect. It is true that at the beginning of the OCM, it was about 
40 to 45 percent. It is true that as of today, it's more like 60 percent. And the payers look at it and they say, look, we can reduce hospitalizations. That's great for everybody. We can reduce ER utilization. That's great for everybody. But as Willie Sutton said, the bank is where the money is. So let's go for the money. <laughs> and, and the payers, they believe that. They believe we have to have a solution for the high cost of drugs. And Pathways are a solution for the high cost of drugs. And so I know for a fact that United is in the process of looking at Pathways process. Cigna is in the process of looking at a Pathways process. Aetna is in the process of looking at a Pathways process. Pathways, we will see, I am quite certain, the emergence, re-emergence of pathways as a way to promote value-based prescribing behavior. And I think, and again, I've been working in this space for 10 years, and believe me, um, in a lot of things in medicine, there's a right time and right place for everything. 10 years ago, people looked at us like we were insane. We are no longer perceived as insane. I think the idea of pathways as being something that people can actually well, I don't know if embrace is the right word. That may be a little bit strong. Can accept as a way to promote and reward value-based care, I believe is something we will see continue to evolve and then really emerge in a widespread way on the clinic oncology scene. Well, you said there's not enough models that exist. You certainly are just listed for several. And you just, I really appreciate you bringing your insights to this and kind of a, a behind the curtain look at the way payers are approaching this and the different possibilities. So we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights. Very, very valuable information for audience. Thank you for being a guest on the Precision Medicine Podcast. Jerome, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We want to thank Dr. Michael Kaloje, of course, all of our listeners for joining us today. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode of the Precision Medicine Podcast. Dr. Kaloje, can you give them your social media? Are you on Twitter? Where can they reach you if they want you to come speak about this or, or get in touch with some of your consulting? Yeah, probably the easiest way is just through the Advi website. I'm not allowed to use Twitter. That would be a dangerous weapon in my hands. So, I, don't, I don't do that. I think you'd be a very good Twitter <laughs> follow. <laughs> You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PMP by Trapello or on LinkedIn at the Intervention Insights company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine Podcast, please share it. They'll thank you, and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Mm -hmm.